0: What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business?
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group.
2: I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group.
0: And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen, it is Mike Hess with Blind Institute of Technology here with Choose Inclusion. I am excited to introduce the CEO of Global Mind, Ms. Carol Carter today.
2: It's wonderful to be here, thank you Mike.
1: Yes, we are very excited to have you. Uh, I think, you know, we've all, Really gotten to know each other in the past couple years, I would say, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. global minded. So, well, first, let's talk about your history. Your, okay. your, like, how did you get here? Okay. Because it's really fascinating.
2: Well, first of all, how did you meet Mike? Mike and I met through a common friend, Sumant uh, Chadabaspia, and he said, You two must meet each other. And that was maybe three years ago, maybe longer.
0: That was. Know. Was it on the Iditarod Trail or no? I mean,
2: it was.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's the <laughs> story I heard. That's yeah, I one of I, those
2: stories. Uh, that, that's part of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where yeah. a different uh, podcast so email, on uh, email global us, adventures and yeah. tall tales. Yeah. Yeah. Email
1: us for that story, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's
2: right. Yeah. But, All right,
1: Carol, where did you come from?
2: <laughs> so I am originally from Tucson, Arizona and um, was... From a kind of interesting family, we had some different uh, dynamics going that really have influenced my uh, passion for the mission of Global Minded. Uh, My parents had me in their late 40s. They were World War II uh, parents. And so I was a complete surprise to them at that stage of life. And uh, I had four older brothers. And when I was in fifth grade, we had a major financial crisis and my dad actually had some um, mental health issues. We didn't have insurance for. And so we really lost our money at that time. And I remember my mom saying to me, you can have all the clothes you want if you make them. And here's a sewing machine and I will buy the fabric. And I was like, okay. And I knew I had to start babysitting and all these different things, you know, kind of stemmed from that. So I went to college down the street at University of Arizona. And what made such a difference for me is I had these four older brothers and they really taught me about the secrets of success and hidden curriculum. And they said, look, you're going to a state school and you need to make sure you work in Washington, (laughs) D.C. one summer. You need to make sure you work in New York City one summer save your waitressing money, get yourself to Spain, learn that language. Don't speak to any Americans the whole semester that you're there. Like they, they shared all these things because one of them had graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Columbia. It took him, you know, over a year to find a job because he didn't do these things. He didn't know to do these things. Um, one of them had, um, you know, worked in, um, Philadelphia, worked for the wall street journal, that helped him. It was so powerful. So the fact that I didn't have money didn't really matter because I had gold in the advice and the wisdom Mm -hmm. of this network that came with my family. So that led to, uh, I, I, got a job right out of college with Prentice Hall, uh, publishing. I got, uh, promoted to New York city, uh, from Phoenix within about six months. And then, When I was 26, I became their first female assistant vice president. And then at 30, I became their first female VP from the inside as Pearson was buying the company. And that's significant because there were really bright people in the class I started with. And it wasn't because they weren't as talented as I was. It was because even if they had gone to Harvard or wherever they had gone, Notre Dame, they did not have the same hidden curriculum and they did not know to go do these experiential things that my brothers had coached me to go and take those risks and to go do. So I spent 17 years in corporate America and was really, you know, kind of the outlier and started to really identify with being the first um, in a situation like that. Um, working, you know, without women ahead of me or as role models, I did have one amazing woman who was an author, very successful. And I watched her come into meetings and hold, hand out agendas. And she was really a huge mentor and still is to this day. She's in her 80s now. But that really had a a big effect on me. And it was a tough job. So I ended up um, for my sanity starting to write a book. I just thought, I just need something that's just my own that I can control. So I started writing this book on Saturdays and on Tuesday nights called Majoring in the Rest of Your Life, Career Secrets for College Students.
0: Yeah.
2: And, um, it was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, and they sent me on a tour to five major college campuses. And I started, um, talking about these different things. And, um, that's really how um, I got started writing books. And then my boss came to me, you know, about a year later, and said, "Look, you love to write. We're a publisher. What if you wrote something for us?" I was gonna
1: say, well, and I was yeah. like, "Really?
2: I don't even have a master's degree." You know, we're in <laughs> academia with everybody with PhDs. And he said, "Well, what would it look like?" So I was the lead author of a book called "The Keys to Success: How to Achieve Your Goals," and it was for college freshmen. And we were the first author team to marry learning skills. With practical and professional skills. All the other people we competed with were from academia, and so they were more theoretical in how they talked to freshmen. And so even today, you know, we know that 43% of our uh, grads aren't in jobs commensurate with their education. I think we still struggle on college campuses to make this practical connection for students. So, um, long and short of it is, after 17 years, I started my own business. Called Life Bound and started publishing books for fifth through twelfth graders. Started a, a coaching arm of that business, and that took me all over the world working with the K twelve international schools. Right. And that's when I really realized, like, wow, we have got to resource our teachers in this country the way they do in other countries, and then our students need to be connected to business leaders in the way they do in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I um, got the idea for for global minded and. Uh, Ended up also going through, got diagnosed with lymphoma in 2011 and went through treatments for a couple of years. And I was like, you know what? You're meant to do something that is going to be like a big, big give back. And I knew that the least resourced students, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their ability status, no matter what their you know gender um, preference, that we needed to do a much better job with these 11%, especially of first-gen who graduate college. And so that really became kind of a, the mission That's amazing, of Global Carol. Minded. I actually had never heard your backstory before. I mean, we met probably three years ago when I was just getting involved in the diversity and inclusion space. And you had been doing the Global Minded Conference. And, you know, I think what drew me to the work that you're doing is that, um, you know, in addition to recognizing that the education component and the pipeline component is so important, like how are we making sure that people, you know, from underrepresented groups get the same opportunities when they go, you know, to get into university? And then when they go into university, do they get the same opportunities? But I felt like by the time I met you, you already expanded beyond that mission to really think through well, what happens when they graduate even. Right. And that's the that's the thing that is so tricky because we haven't really tracked that. And we really want to be in a position to be able to say, with all of these incredibly talented students, what kinds of jobs are they in after graduation? And how many of them are getting promoted at age 26 or 28? Those are promotion mm-hmm. pathway jobs. That takes you to financial self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And I saw that movie, um, Harriet, you know, a couple of months ago. And I said to my husband, you know, global minded is like a version of an underground railroad with these incredible stakeholders. And we're getting people from all backgrounds to financial freedom. Mm-hmm. And they cannot in this world become servant leaders like you all are or do any other things until those basic needs get met.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. the When you s- travel the world, right, and you, mm-hmm. you saw how these other educational systems worked, mm-hmm. I mean, was there a truly stark difference in our system versus what you saw across the world?
2: Y- yes, but I will also say that <clears throat> I was there mostly with the K-12 international schools. Sure. So those are the private schools in these different areas. So they're more resourced than some of the public schools. But I was with all the public um, ministry of education folks in Singapore for their INTA ASC conference with mm-hmm. 2000 educators, yeah. spoke on creativity, innovation, and risk. Um, at the Africa International School Association Conference. And so there were uh, faculty there from throughout Africa and mm-hmm. um, Kenya. Right. So they weren't all super mm-hmm. highly resourced, but I would say for the most part, it really wasn't apples to apples because we're really focused on a lot of the students that are coming out of um, public school education mm-hmm. Sure. where those resources, or they're not from those zip codes that have those resources. Okay. So it's a, it's a little bit, I always just make that distinction because the, the expat community and the private schools around the world are where really the global 1% of the nation's um, wealth are in those families. And right. that's, that is true, but it did give me that um, germ of a, of an idea that our least resource students still need those networks that those kinds of kids have with all those resources. Right.
0: Tell me what, uh, so with global minded now, What's the, what do you see the real impact that you're able to have here locally in the Denver, metro area, but you guys really have a national reach now. So tell me what it is, uh, the impact that you're seeing that local minded is having.
2: Yeah, actually we're national and we have people, people last year from 20 countries. Um, and I, I think over time we can do some really interesting things in different parts of the world um, where some of these students who are first gen get to travel and some of our students have gone the last few years um, with the uh, Cultural Clarity Group. They've gone to China for four weeks, working with four companies. This year, they're going to Colombia, Puerto Rico. Um, So I would say where we are right now is we have a really strong uh, annual conference that's a big tent for stakeholders from early childhood through late stage career to come together And look at the leaks along the pipeline and share out the best practices of the ways in which we can shore up those leaks. So one of those leaks would be adult basic literacy. We've got 40 million non literate adults in this country. Some of these are the parents of the students that we serve. But if we get those folks to basic literacy, we can start to fill our early childhood jobs, our CNA jobs, our phlebotomist jobs, these jobs that are in high demand, but you can have basic math, basic reading and writing to do those jobs well. So that's really life changing and family changing when we can look at a strategy for that. Another example, and this is one of our pre-conferences is um, rural, you know, rural, our rural equity team. And there's an incredible rural pre-conference this year. So we look at a multi-pronged approach to closing the equity gap. And the conference is where people can come convene, share ideas, but we also have our Inclusive Leader Awards, which Mike is one of the recipients of those awards. What? And yes, he hey, is. Hey. Yes, yes. Go he's, me. Yeah. Go me. Yep. He is so humble. He's so he's so incredible. Humble. And um, <laughs> that the, those awards, though, in, in all seriousness, are really a strategy for corporate America because until the people like Mike become household names as much as movie stars and sports stars we don't have diversity in government or corporate or education. And we don't have those role models right now. They're not known mm-hmm. to the world. And Good. so that's a strategy for corporate. So I say, like, these are all different, you know, different strategies. And then we have strategies for students where we have a 100 low-income students who will be there this year who are teenagers exploring careers and fields in tech and a hundred generation of college student leaders. So we, over the last five years, have um, – place like 300 different students in jobs from, um, you know, working at Hewlett Packard to Swanson Engineering to Raytheon, all of these different kinds of companies where they would not necessarily have made those kinds of connections to get a mentor, a role model, an internship or a job. So those are the ways in which we have different strategies. And then finally we have a college strategy through college collaboratives to take really the magic of that conference to the college campuses with the hidden curriculum. And I got the rights to the series that I, that I um, wrote for Pearson. And it's been read by like 3 million students. But we want that to be fee waived and underwritten by foundations at these least resource schools so that those students can have that content for free and their teachers can be trained for no cost. And then we can track and measure what happens to those students when we connect them to the internships and the role models and the mentors how many of them how much are we moving that needle to from 11% to 25% by 2025 so those are the kinds of things that programmatically we see as strategies that's for those big levers that's fantastic how, how do you go about finding mentors for all of these students so really good question a couple different ways one our first class graduated a year um Almost almost two years ago. And they came and said, now we're in our jobs and we want to give back. So they started this Global Minded Young Professionals Advisory Council. Oh, Dominique so Dominique is the president oh. of that. Oh, and amazing. there are incredible people who have benefited from this that are under 30. You don't have to be first gen. But you have to care about inclusive leadership at your place of work. Okay. So these people meet once a month. They have a professional development oh. speaker. And then they have social and what networking. But they're across all different industries. And then there are other people that we now are starting to work with who are companies that realize that that they would like to get their company employees involved in mentorship because those people want to give back. And they don't necessarily know how to do it. So I think like that's a way that we're expanding that. And then the final piece of this is um, by 2025, we want to have 25 million first-gen students, first-gen grads, those who work with them and those who want to hire them algorithmically connected for role models, mentors, internships, and jobs. And we've got some AI folks coming this year that I think are... um, the perfect partners for that, in addition to some folks like Salesforce and some other, you know, traditional and large companies that are established. But we know that when um, eHarmony is matching people to get married, why can't we match people? (laughs) Why can't we match people with amazing careers and people that would be, you know, you're a Latina from El Paso, and you might be working at Google, but there's no other Latino in your On your floor, but you're matched through us with Patty Lopez from Intel, who's living up in Fort Collins and she got her Ph.D. in computer science. There's all kinds of ways we can broker those connections. And those grads who don't see themselves in their place of work can still have that mentor.
0: 100%. that makes
2: the difference in them sticking in there for 17 years as i did Absolutely. and i didn't have a person like that other than my my um uh, my author but that's a powerful way to really buttress and support people who don't have the foundations or don't see themselves in their place of work. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, to be honest, like, I'm not able to see myself, and so I'm just saying. Right, <laughs> exactly. Hey, that's, the <laughs> that's the mic drop. That's the mic drop.
2: That's, well, that's a drum. good point. Our audience yeah. can't uh, hear me rolling my eyes. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's a blind yeah. totally blind anymore. Joke. Actually,
0: to anymore. Actually, to be fair, though, so we, we Blind Institute of Technology, we, uh, here in the Denver Metro area, because of, like, I mean, you know, we, we know the minority levels of, from, from, from Ethnicity and gender and LGBTQ, we know the like the uh, just how few representation there are. out there. Then when you get to the professionals with disabilities community, like it's it's, it's nil in right. any organization. So we're what we're doing is saying, hey, but we we know folks at some of the amazing organizations that we work with, and so we're collaboratively bringing a community together on a monthly basis. So we can in person start to support one another, saying, "Okay, what what are the PMO tools that you're using in your organization?" Okay, so here are some what some project management organization okay. or so different. Uh, sorry it. about that. Thank you. you know, <laughs> but so making sure that you know these these professionals with disabilities feel like because we They're are
2: part of something bigger. something bigger because Absolutely. again we, when, when you're the
0: token blind person or deaf person or yeah. in a wheelchair like when, when you know that you're the token in that organization yeah. like it's it's near impossible so i love the fact that you little minded, are taking the bull by the horn because that's what we're having to do too is say okay <clears> we're stronger as a community yeah. and we are disparate and so right. to me our job and that's why i think we've always connected yeah Carol, like we just we feel like okay so if nobody else is doing this then, then damn it I'm gonna do it right. and, and that's what I love that's about your tenacity yeah. well
1: and I, there's
0: there's two underlying
1: things that I think what you both are doing what we're all trying to do are are going to solve one is by creating this by 2025 creating these connections you're really just in the community in general creating the these this inclusive way for people to connect right like we're building a more inclusive, community at large, by making all of these different connections, by introducing people to people they would never meet before, right. you know, and, and giving them that feeling of belonging, sort of, we always talk about expanding your definition of your in-group, like expanding yeah. their in-group. So there's yeah. that. And then the second piece is the pipeline, like the talent pipeline. I mean, at the end of the day, that that's what a lot of organizations are focused on, mm-hmm. why this Everything we talk about diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging are so important, what you're doing and what Mike is doing at bIT why those are so important because at the end of the day you're not a successful company a company unless you have the right people in place right and so how what when you're talking to key stakeholders because frankly, of all the conferences i've ever been to, the goal minded conference manages to you you bring in people who you've met on the Iditarod Trail for real, yeah. like for real. people yeah. from all over yeah. the world, from the UN, you mm-hmm. know, from the World Economic Forum. And I mean, you bring these people who I'm just like, well, holy mm-hmm. crap. Like that's, yeah, yeah you're living in the, you know, first of all, you're living up to your name, <laughs> global minded. But how do you do that? Like, what is that conversation? Well, how do you, how do you get those key stakeholders in the room? And then, From there, like, what's the next step? Well,
2: it's mainly with our partners, but we need those key stakeholders because, for example, Climate Restoration Foundation, they're one of our partners. They came last year, had a great event um, right before the UN General Assembly this year, and some of our students went with me. So this year, we can take 50 students. Well, our students who are first gen are not going to be able to be the people they're capable of if we don't get them to the UN or if we don't get them to the International Mm -hmm. Labor Organization and their dignity of work series that they photographed all these incredible people in different areas or the 100 year anniversary that was in DC that the ILO had at the OAS building where the original um, document was signed in 1919. Those are game changing things and it's about exposure. So I always say when people talk about apprenticeships or internships, it's like, yes. And that's part of a bigger framework under which you have to experience risk in a number of different ways. And the more that people are in situations that intimidate them or whatever, the more that these students are going to be able to see themselves as ambassadors someday at the UN if yeah. they actually go to the climate event with us. Right. So we just, we just really believe that we need those partners because frankly, World Economic Forum, we need all those people. It's about youth. It's about diversity. I say the future work is diverse and inclusive. But those people can be at World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm possibly in the next, you know, 10 years. And they need to be. They need places like that, need way more um, diverse representation. But we need those partners to be able to bring that to them. And that's why we have something called the Global Minded Experience Network that these students can plug into from the college collaboratives, from the first-gen leadership class to be able to, like Ronald Reagan Institute, they pay for them to go all summer, spring or fall, um, they get themselves to DC. Everything else is paid for, and you experience what's it like on the Hill to learn all these different things. Wow, and that's awesome. So, and, oh, Carol, so, sorry, go ahead. Michael. Well, I was
0: going to say, <laughs> well, so you both, I think you, you're first gen, right? No, no, my
1: my dad, like my mom's from the U.S. Okay, okay. yes, yeah, so I'm I'm half. <laughs> okay, so you're you're are so,
0: five. First uh, gen yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. right. you're you're first gen, aren't you?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I'm a child of immigrants.
0: Yeah, and and I'm first gen. Co- so I was the first person in my family actually to attend college. Mm-hmm.
2: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so I uh, so you know you're with like minded people here, mm-hmm. so. They're way brighter than I am. However, I'm As funny. I, am I think <laughs> you're very bright. Mike, do you, <laughs> no,
2: you have no, a no. mic drop to hand off for today? I, my
0: my mic drop would be this. I, I love what Global Minded is doing. I love the fact, and I'm so humbled to have won the award uh, for dessert. the Inclusive Leader. Uh, in, because when you, when you think of Global Minded, you are absolutely being inclusive. like first gen, yes, ethnicity, LGBTQ veterans, like you're thinking across the spectrum and one of the only organizations that's also saying, hey, let's bring in professionals with disabilities. Because I can tell you, like that tokenism is for real, even amongst collaborative, global minded kind of organization thought leaders out there. So people with disabilities are not being included in those kind of conversations. And so I so applaud you and thank you for actually thinking of the professionals with disabilities here.
2: Well, you're just a key talent base that mm-hmm. the world needs. And so we want to help make more connections for you all. And so. I am looking at your your conference, kind of the, the, the teaser for the conference. It's got a list of the speakers, the different events that uh, are going to be talked about, all the different issues are going to be talked about. And it's it is truly inclusive. I mean, it is just people from all types of underrepresented groups from all over the world are going to be here. And I think every one of our listeners should come to your conference, so could you tell us a little bit about it? We would love it. Yes, the conference this year is June 6th through the 8th uh, in Denver, Colorado, and we want to make Denver the epicenter for inclusivity, so that's part of our strategy, and there are pre-conferences happening on June the 6th. I I mentioned some of them. One's called The Future of Capital. One is called Rural Resilience. One is on Adult Basic Education and Employment. Lots of topics. I think there's about 15 of the pre-conferences. Opening dinner, inclusive leader awards across fourteen different um, industries, and then the conference uh, launches on Sunday the seventh and goes till the Monday the eighth. And Monday afternoon, we're going to do something very special this year called the industry marketplace. We'll be working with about forty different companies and associations, like um, the Space Group and Colorado Technology Association, so that teachers and counselors and parents and students can learn about industries and emerging fields because right now we believe there's an opportunity for teachers to become industry champions and really connect emerging careers and fields to course material. And when like my husband teaches math and he's just in his first year this year. So I'm kind of learning a lot of this through him, but he's like, wow, math. If you love math, you can go into artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, like here's all these things you can do, but he's from industry. So he knows that stuff, but we have to build a better bridge with these wonderful teachers and counselors and really help them to meet people like you and be able to share firsthand with students who may be depressed or may be anxious that there are so many awesome things they can do with their gifts and their abilities. So how do people find out more? Where can they go to find out about the conference, sign up? The conference is at the website. It's um, just www.globalminded.org. Or you can call our global headquarters and that office number is 303-327-5688. And about 75% of the program is together right now. We had almost 200 submissions to speak this year. Um, But the rest of the sessions will be featured sessions and sponsored sessions and sessions from our partners. But uh, very cool topics that, um, yeah, we'll we'll be part of those. Yeah, I, I see a couple of folks that are speaking that I'm super excited about seeing, so. We are here to help you in any way, shape, or
1: form make this thing happen. Fabulous. Um, So look for all that information. And it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Carol Carter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you you so much for having me. Anytime. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time.
2: See you guys. Later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.